know why I was going to say Romans, but Philippians chapter 1 this morning. We are going to talk about advancing the gospel, as Ricky uh, shared just a moment ago. And we're going to look at a particular passage here, verses 12 through 18, that's going to show where Paul is excited about the gospel. Despite his circumstances, despite what he's been enduring and going through, he is excited about the advancement of the gospel, that it's still changing lives just like it had changed his life, and he wanted to talk about it. And for us, we're in a, a wonderful season in our day. Uh, this is March. Uh, that means temperature's getting better, spring's around the corner, daylight saving times begins next Sunday morning, so make sure you set your clocks back next Saturday night or you'll be, you'll be bored. Forward. What did I say? Back? You know what I mean. Spring forward, spring back. I'm going to be confused and be here late. Or early, one of the two. Uh, it's also March Madness. Any basketball fans? There's like three of you. This is Virginia. You're supposed to all be basketball fans. You don't know what good football is because it's not SEC, and so you only have basketball, right? I just lost three-quarters of the audience by that statement. I love basketball. I love March Madness. This is the season of the year I really, really look forward to. And uh, conference tournaments, some of the smaller conferences have been going on. I guess they finished today or yesterday, and major conferences will begin this week. And then the big dance starts next week, and I'm excited about that. And so being a fan of college basketball uh, means that this season of the year is fun for us. It's exciting. Our teams, we're hopeful that we might have struggled through the, through the regular season, and maybe we came on during the tournament for the conference and won away to the big dance, and we're hoping, man, we can get past that first round, maybe second round, and perhaps even to a sweet 16 type of thing. And then, you know, for the big boys, you, you're just wanting to get to the final four year in and year out. So this is a fun time of the season. And I've been mentioning my team the last few weeks, if you haven't noticed. I, I know some of you noticed, but I'm an Arkansas Razorback because I am from Arkansas. My undergrad degree is from Arkansas. So not only is my blood literally red, it's figuratively red because I'm a Hog fan. And, and my team is doing well. We're on a hot streak. We've won 11 straight SEC games. And man, we're just playing really, really well. And so I love, not to brag about it, I just want to tell the story, right? I'm just telling the story of the Arkansas Razorbacks because I want to introduce all of you ACC fans who are just down this year because Duke's not very good, North Carolina's not very good, and, and boy, they blew that game up last night. Like, it was going to be this wonderful thing, and it's kind of a dud if you just watched it. I mean, I'm not a Duke or North Carolina fan, so that's just where I'm at. UVA won the conference, so you got some good things. But I want to introduce you to what basketball is supposed to look like. And that's found in the SEC. There's like two of us that are excited about it. Again, lost the crowd. I know some of you A-tenders, you're excited about VCU. And it's going to be fun as we get into this next week. So what is the big deal? Why do we talk about our teams? Well, we talk about our teams because we're passionate about them. We talk about our teams because they're important to us. We talk about our teams when they're doing good, when they're not doing good, we don't really talk about them, right? We're just kind of like, yeah, and kind of go on about our business. But when our team is playing well, we want to talk about it. We want to celebrate. We want everybody to know because we're sort of like expanding our brand out into the world so that people can look at Because I understand, I live in Virginia now. I've been here a long time, it seems like, five, six years now. And, and so I know that you guys don't pay attention to most of what happens in flyover country. And so you're not watching... SEC. You're not watching these other conferences. You're watching yours. And so we want to spread that 
beautiful, beautiful knowledge into the other people's agenda and awareness and all of that. That's what we're doing this time of year as we talk about our team. Say, why in the world are you talking about basketball? I want to relate it to about what Paul is doing here. You see, as we come to first, or, uh, Philippians chapter 1 here, what we see on a much greater scale and for far more significant reasons, the Apostle Paul believed the message of Jesus was worth talking about, sharing, and, and extending, the, if you will, the brand of the gospel so that everyone could hear about it, everyone could respond to it, everyone could have an opportunity to experience the life change in their lives that he had experienced. And so he believed that it was worth giving his life to advance the gospel throughout the world. He worked diligently at this. He traveled extensively to make this happen day in and day out, taking the gospel to places where it had never been preached before. That was his goal. That was his aspiration. He desired to eventually be able to extend the gospel as far as he could possibly go. He wanted to take it to the the region of Spain, the far western edge of the Roman Empire. On his way there, he wanted to go by Rome, encourage the church there, a church he'd never been a part of, a church he did not plant. He wanted to encourage them and admonish them and, and minister to them and them be a partner with him in this endeavor to take the gospel to the edges of the empire. For that reason, a strong gospel-centered church there in Rome was what he wanted to see so that the gospel could be advanced. Well, we know Paul made it to Rome. His aspiration was uh, lived out, but the journey there was not what he had envisioned. Paul didn't come to Rome as a missionary. He didn't come to Rome with a strategy to plant churches. Instead, he came to Rome as a prisoner with an upcoming court date standing before the emperor. Circumstances of Paul's arrival there in the city had definitely changed. But as you read, even in what we're going to see this morning, as he writes back to the church at Philippi, the aspirations had not. His confidence and belief in Jesus had never diminished. His passion to preach the gospel was not lesser. It wasn't lighter. It wasn't less hot. No, to hear uh, of all the things that we're doing, the gospel was doing, continued to fan the flame within his heart. If anything, his passion to preach had increased while being incarcerated. So I want us to hear what Paul has to say here in Philippians chapter 1, beginning in verse 12. We're going to read through verse 18. Talk about advancing the gospel. Listen to what Paul says. I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel, so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter do it, do it out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. An amazing passage there that Paul lays out to this church. 
You see, the church there in Philippi, as we talked about the last couple of Sundays, was near and dear to Paul. He was the one who had founded the church in Acts chapter 16. He's the one that went to preach the gospel, and Lydia and others came to know Jesus, and a church was formed, and he had ministered to these people. He had developed them in their early young faith, and this church had been birthed, and he had encouraged them, and he was encouraged by them. He loved these people, and they loved him. And so the church wanted to know how Paul was faring. They were in Rome under arrest. They were concerned about him because he was their spiritual father and he was their mentor. But as we saw last Sunday, he was also their partner in the gospel. They had partnered with him prayerfully, financially, and in every other way to launch him out to continue to advance the gospel throughout the known world. So they were concerned, much like when we uh, want to hear reports and want to hear how our missionaries are doing on the field. They were concerned about Paul. And so in this letter to the Philippians, Paul shares about his situation in Rome. That's what we're reading. While his description is in some ways uh, quite explicit, in other ways it's minimal. It's not very descriptive. It leaves us with a lot of unanswered questions. And it could be that like, likely Paul assumed the church knew the details. And if they didn't already, Epaphroditus was going back. And so he would fill them in on things that Paul didn't have room or time to write. In addition, rather than writing and sharing gruesome details of being confined, Paul focused on the gospel. I think if we were to write a letter to a church like this and we were in prison, we might spend more time on our conditions. We might spend more time on how hungry we are, how filthy the, the, the accommodations might be. We might talk about how people have, have walked away from us and we're lonely and all these things, but Paul seemed to, to just major on the gospel and its advancement, even through his circumstances. So unlike other believers, his personal life was completely taken up with his calling. Therefore, to reflect on how his imprisonment had advanced the gospel is to really reflect on his own life. It's one and the same for him. Paul teaches us that advancing the gospel is the mission. You say, what is the mission of my life? That is the mission. mission of your life is not to raise great children. It's not to have a nice home. It's not to have a wonderful job and a great career. It's not to have a lot of money. It's not to have a second home or whatever we may build in our American version of what the life that we're living ought to be our mission in that, the gospel. What ought to consume the focus of our lives as Christ followers? You see, here at Red Lane, we say it this way, our, our mission statement, if you will. We say that we're here to glorify God by making disciples of all nations. That's the purpose for which we live. We live to glorify God, that His name would be exalted and magnified and, and people would be drawn to Him. Our strategy in that is to make disciples. So we glorify God by making disciples. We share the gospel. We, we train and teach and mentor and shape believers and help them develop in their faith. And we do that, the goal is to all nations. Ethne, every single people group on the face of the earth, that is the goal for our lives. That's the mission of our lives as followers of Jesus. It was the same for Paul. His life and ministry revolved around advancing the gospel here and there to the neighbors and to the nation. We're going to see that in this text. I want to share with you two truths to grasp as we try to understand that advancing the gospel is our mission. Here's the first thing I want you to see. Any circumstance of life 
can be redeemed for the sake of the Lord's mission. Any circumstance, regardless of what's happening in your life right now, all of it can be redeemed for the sake of the Lord's mission. Verses 12 through 14, what we see here is that they indicate the two ways the gospel had advanced during Paul's circumstances. See that it advanced inside as well as outside the prison. He talks about how everyone in the imperial guard had a full understanding of why he was there. He was there for the sake of the gospel. He was there because of his belief and trust and faith in Jesus, because of his preaching of the gospel. But not only did they hear, but others heard, everyone there. So I can think of the guards that are coming in. I can think of the people that they're going back and sharing with. Maybe it's the secretary that's doing all the scheduling, and they're just talking about this Paul guy. You've got to believe. Surely you can, you can see this idea that as people are coming in, Day in and day out, on rotations, different guards sitting there with Paul, whatever that would have looked like. There's all kinds of uh, ideas of what that would have been, chained to him or in that same house. We see other pictures of him being under house arrest. Regardless, we know that he was being guarded, and Paul always preached the gospel. Therefore, he would have always shared it with the people coming in and out. So the gospel is advancing. The word translated advance here in verse 12 is a term in the Greek world that, that was used to describe the blazing of a trail. The idea there is, is going before an army and cutting down the trees and remaking the landscape so that the army could travel quickly and easily to their destination. One of the reasons Rome became such a mighty empire was because of their engineers and their ability to cut a road into the landscape and to be able to move their forces quickly and to resupply them when needed. So Paul here shares with the Philippians that the terrible and unwanted circumstances which had befallen him and had in actuality gone before and plowed the roads for the gospel. He took the circumstances that he found himself and he allowed them to be redeemed for the Lord's mission. For the sake of the Lord's mission. He wasn't upset about it, sure. Did Paul want out of jail? Who would want to be in jail? Nobody. He wanted to be out of jail. We go on to read of this and he expected perhaps to be released. It was one of two things. You're going to go free or you're going to lose your head. He was, I think, hoping for the latter, for the sake of the church. We'll talk about that in a few weeks. And so he shares here how these circumstances were, were, were things that went ahead of him unexpectedly and plowed new roads and opened up new territories, new destinations for the gospel to be penetrating, to, to penetrate. So what are these roads that they open? We see here, as I just mentioned, prison guards heard the gospel in verse 15. You know, being a prisoner is doubtfully part of anyone's life plan. Anybody got it on their bucket list? Before I die, I want to experience what it was like to be in a Roman jail. Before I die, I want to experience what it's like to have the guillotine come and just lop my head off. I want to experience, anybody? Nope, no takers? Not me either. No, that's not on Paul's list. Having freedom stripped is, is not something you wish for. It was not something that Paul wished for either. And yet, arrested and incarcerated is where he found himself as he's writing this letter back to the church at Philippi. Where did, did this, when did this and how did this journey begin? If you know the story, if you go to the book of Acts, beginning, I think, what, chapter 20 or so in that neighborhood, Paul is in Jerusalem. He's gone back to uh, 
to, to take an offering from the Macedonians back to the believers in Jerusalem. And he's also there to fulfill a vow because uh, he still is a Jew. He's a Messianic Jew. So he's back to fulfill this vow. He even knows as he's traveling back. God has told him that when you get to Jerusalem, you're going to be arrested. Prophets had come down and said, Paul, you don't need to do this because when you go there, you're going to be arrested. Right? Paul knew this. He goes anyway. So he gets to Jerusalem. He's falsely accused by the Jewish people. He's arrested by the Roman tribune there in Acts 21:33, And as Paul was being brought into the barracks, rather than uh, pulling away or trying to flee or, or trying to argue his case, he asked the Roman tribune if he could address the crowd. And rather than yelling at them or telling them they've made a terrible mistake, he begins to give testimony and to contend for the gospel. Later on, Acts 26 and 20, 24 in chapter 26, we see him standing before Felix and standing before Agrippa. And rather than arguing his case, he's arguing the case for the, for the Lord, the case for the gospel. He literally is trying to win them to faith in Jesus. Then on that difficult journey to Rome because he's appealed to Caesar, he's shipwrecked. All the things that happened there in Acts 27 and 28, we see him continually testifying to the grace of God before others. You see, he redeemed the circumstances for gospel purposes. Rather than complaining and fussing, he preached Jesus and shared his story to the Roman soldiers and the officials there in Rome who guarded him. We might think that, you know, Maybe for us, as that guard comes in day out, we're, we're trying to argue our case. Man, I'm not really that bad of a person. I don't really understand why I'm here. Uh, could you speak on my behalf to someone else? I don't believe Paul did that. I think he just took an opportunity. Here, here's, a, here's guy number one, I'm going to share the gospel with him. Here's guy number two, the next day, I'm going to share the gospel. And here's guy number three, I'm going to share the gospel. And little by little, he's advancing the message of Jesus throughout Rome. So though prison might have inhibited his personal freedom, prison for Paul became a springboard that freed the gospel to spread and flourish in new territories. When would Paul have ever had an opportunity to stand before the imperial guard and everyone involved with that part of government and share the gospel? See, many times we as Christians, we look at evangelism and we think, well, that's the pastor's job. That's the other elder's job. Maybe that's my small group leader's job. Here's what the reality is. We cannot, even if we wanted to, get in the circles of influence that you have because we don't run in those circles. You do. So we need to leverage those situations, leverage those relationships, leverage those areas of influence and use them for gospel kingdom purposes. Use them to springboard the gospel into new territory. Paul did. Boldly, passionately, affectionately, every day sharing with those guards so that everyone knew about Paul's Jesus. It doesn't say that everyone was a Christian, but everyone knew why Paul was there. It was for the sake of Christ. So we see that these prison guards heard the gospel. We also see here that the church was emboldened to preach the gospel in verse 14. Most of, my, most of the brothers, he says, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. And so Paul here is telling the Philippians, hey, most of the believers in Rome have taken heart. They've been encouraged. They've been emboldened to share the gospel because of my circumstance, because of the situation I find myself in. 
I, I don't understand that. But somehow and in some way, when persecution begins to break out against God's church, other members in that church are emboldened and impassioned pick up the mantle. It doesn't make any logical sense. And in fact, I think that the devil and his demons probably sit down in, in wherever they hang out, and they're scratching their heads thinking, I, I don't get this. We have done everything we possibly can to try to stamp out Christianity. We've brought great persecution. We've executed. We, we've done everything we could to make their lives miserable. And yet these jokers continue to preach about Jesus. And all throughout history, all throughout church history specifically, we have seen that every time the enemy tries to, tries to rise up and stomp out the believers of God, the followers of Jesus, all he does is spread them that much. You see a picture of that in Acts chapter 8. Persecution is beginning to break out in Jerusalem against this early church right there on the heels of Pentecost. And so it's getting hot in the kitchen. Saul, who we're talking about in this letter, is Paul later on. But Saul back then, he's the guy leading the charge. And as he and his compadres are, are turning up the heat in the kitchen, the church begins to scatter. They begin to leave Jerusalem. But they don't stop preaching the gospel. Philip goes down to Samaria. He goes north, down in elevation to the people of, of the Samaritans, those that the Jews hated. And there he preaches, and people are coming to faith in Jesus by the drove. What we see is that this old dragon is brutal. He has schemed the execution. He has schemed the destruction of many of our brothers and sisters. Even today, all over the world, this is happening. And we see it throughout church history that when this happens, the blood of the martyrs becomes what people call the seed of the church. So Paul's imprisonment and this pending trial, Paul says in verse 14, has emboldened most of the believers in Rome. They're not huddling together in some upper room. No, what they're doing is they're confidently sharing the gospel with people that are around them. They're sharing the gospel story with their neighbors. They're sharing the gospel story in the marketplace. They're sharing the gospel story in and on the streets of Rome. They're gathering together for worship and fellowship. They're not huddling in a closed room. They're doing what they would normally do because they want people to hear about Jesus. They're emboldened in that. You see, when we like Paul, begin to understand that whatever situation we find ourselves in, it can and needs to be redeemed for the Lord's sake. We will be glad to preach Jesus. Prison was not what he expected from his Roman excursion. He wanted to visit, as I said earlier, this strategic and influential city. He wanted it to be a powerful catalyst for the gospel, but his plans were not God's plans. Anybody uh, have your plans kind of, I mean, not necessarily turned upside down, but changed by the Lord all the time, right? You know, Proverbs 16, 9 says that man plans his way, or ESV, the heart of man plans his way, but the Lord establishes his steps. That's what God is doing here for Paul. I want to go to Rome. I want to encourage this church. I want them to be a catalyst and a supporter in the ongoing mission of God to advance the gospel in Spain. And what happens, Paul gets to Rome, but he's there under house arrest. He's there in chains. He's there on trial for his life. And yet the gospel flourishes. Today, we're all living out the things that were never part of our plans. Some of those alterations of our, are of our own doing, right? Some of them are the Lord's doing. 
I, I, I can remember, and I want you to hear this, coming out of college, I, like hopefully most young guys, had a lot of aspirations. I uh, wanted to finish my doctorate by the age of 30. Finished it at the age of 36. <laughs> a little delayed, but finished it. I uh, had plans to, I grew up in a, a, a huge, large church, and so my plans were, man, in my 30s, I'm going to take a church, I'm going to grow this church, it's going to be mega church status, it's going to be awesome. At some point in my ministry career, I'm going to be the, I'm going to lead our denomination. I mean, those are the goals I had as a young man, and so perhaps you, hearing that, you're thinking, this guy's a failure, I don't even know why we brought this guy here five and a half years ago, he's, he's a dud, he's definitely on his way out, he's terrible. Could be looked at it that way. I just, you know, as the years have gone by, don't care about those. Things. I just want to lead a church that's faithful. I just want to lead a church that's, that's passionate. I want to lead a church that's, that's on mission, advancing the gospel where we are at. Do I, would I love to do some of those things? Absolutely. It's not about that. The Lord changed the direction. Here's, here's something you probably don't know. Uh, when we were, began talking to this church, a guy named Les White, no longer here. He retired from the IMB. Now he's hanging out with grandkids and stuff in North Carolina. But when he called, I was in, Karen and I were in deep conversation with another church, a sister church in our area. Steve and Jan know the story because it's an awkward thing when we first met because they knew, but I didn't know they knew and all this stuff was going on. But uh, Les calls and, and I'm thinking, I want to go to the church. It's small. It's outside of Richmond. Not interested. I had my aspirations on bigger and better or different. And now I look back and I think, man, if I'd went to that church, great church, guy that they called there is doing a fabulous job in our state convention. Love the brother. But I wasn't the right fit for that. God had different plans for me. He brought me here. And again, you're probably thinking, maybe I wish I'd had someone else. But this is where I want to be. This is where God has me. I, I sat down with a with a lady who's joining, we're having folks join tonight at our members meeting, and one of the questions she asked me in our elder interview that we do with new members, and she says, are you going anywhere? Funny, I get that question all the time lately. No, unless you guys know something I don't know. <laughs> members meetings tonight, I don't know. God has his plans for us. What do we do with that? When it's different than ours, you got to distrust him. Just redeem the circumstance. Here's what happens in life. I'm, Ricky referenced it, that I said it last week. You're either coming out of a storm, you're in a storm, you're going into a storm. You know that's the, the pattern of life. It's up and down, you're on the mountaintop, you're in the valley, you're somewhere in between. That's what life is. And so regardless of where you find yourself in the, 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 the cycle of life, redeem it for the sake of the gospel. Allow Jesus to work through your life situation. Here's the second thing. i got to fly here. Some of you were thinking, two points, man, we're going to be out here early. If guests who've been coming back for the last few weeks, I think they're maybe even catching on. Number two, any circumstance of life can be joyful when the gospel is at the center of your aspiration. It can be joyful. It can be redeemed, and it can be joyful. You see, Paul, as we read here, rejoice over the fact that the gospel was being preached. We see this reality in verses 15 through through 18. It makes circumstances more palatable as we read this. 
Here Paul shares an interesting aspect of this renewed preaching of the gospel. Remember, the the believers in the church are becoming emboldened to preach and to kind of pick up the mantle where he can't carry it at this point because of his confinement. And so we, we see here that there was a good number of people who were preaching from goodwill, preaching from good intentions. They, they had the right heart. They had the right perspective here. They had not lost faith in Paul. They had not become jealous of his ministry. And it seems like that's what some of the people felt, is Paul's in jail, and so they wanted to distance themselves from Paul. I don't want to be affiliated with that because it may bring... Uh, it, it may bring some sort of persecution against me. And so they're distancing. And then others took it another level up. And so they began to try to inflict harm upon Paul. So how could Christians do that? How long have you been in church? We eat our own sometimes. Terrible. can't tell you the number of times over 20 plus years of ministry, I've either personally experienced it or heard those stories of fellow colleagues in the ministry. Terrible. Paul experienced it as well. So these who were preaching out of envy and rivalry, he says, were those who were, they're not heretics, they're preaching a true gospel, they're preaching good biblical doctrine. They're brothers in the faith. And yet through this, it seems that they hope to advance their own platform through the affliction of Paul. Perhaps they thought that his approach to ministry wasn't the right approach, and so they're going to quote-unquote correct Paul and use this opportunity to elevate themselves. Even though we're Christians, we still have a fleshly nature, right? We still have our own nature that wants to, to make ourselves look better than the other person. And so we need to constantly crucify that flesh, crucify that nature, and allow Jesus to sanctify us These brothers needed sanctification. So their selfish ambition obviously would have stung Paul's heart. I mean, if you've been wronged by a brother or sister in the Lord, I I can't think of anything worse than that. Here's what I know in ministry, and I've kind of been a little bit transparent the last couple Sundays. I tend, and I'm not a grudge holder, by the way. I I tend to, you guys care, I just let things roll off my, I guess, the back, kind of the picture of a duck. The water just kind of spreads off. I kind of do that for the most part. But I have a tendency, if I'm thinking through events that's happened in ministry, I will remember the hurtful moments far more than I will remember those wonderful Right? I think that's true of us as human beings in general. So I believe that Paul's heart was wounded by these brothers who, who were preaching in, in envy and rivalry of him. But what we see here is he didn't allow it to dominate everything in his life. It didn't dominate his perspective. And so instead he chose to rejoice in the fact that the gospel is being proclaimed. Now, how do you do that? When a guy is maligning you and undercutting your ministry and speaking against you as a brother, how do you say, I don't care about that? I just rejoice in the guy's preaching the gospel. He may be doing it for the wrong motives. He may be doing it for, for, to harm me, but at least the gospel is going forth. It's advancing. How do you rejoice in that? I'd want to, just being transparent again, I'd want to go over and be like, hey, man, I'm going to pull Joe Biden. Hey, let's go out back for a second. You, you get the joke, right? I'm not taking a shot. But Joe Biden's, President Biden has said that multiple times during the campaign. It's like, come on. That's the way I might want to have approached it. How did he and why did he react this way? A couple things. Theology was in good order. 
He had learned by the grace of God to see everything from the divine perspective, to look through the lens of God's bigger picture, to see that there's something else going on here. It's not just what I can see what's right in front of me. No, God has a bigger picture. He has more that's happening. And so there's nothing that does not fit, even if it means suffering and death, on the way to resurrection. Whatever's coming against me, I, because I believe God. This is Paul. I know he's trustworthy. I know he's faithful. I know he's good. He's in control, and he's allowed. So I'm just going to rejoice in it, right? His theology was in good order. Secondly, his passion was Christ and the gospel. Everything is to be seen and done in light of Christ. So Paul's aspiration was never to have his name on the billboards of Christianity. I don't think Paul, during his life in ministry, ever in his mind was thinking, you know, 2,000 years ago or 2,000 years from now, there's going to be people all over the world reading my stuff. Never thought that. He didn't care. He didn't think one thing about it. He was writing to encourage the church then to spur them on in faith. Famous, fame, all of that stuff was never on his radar. His aspiration was to simply see the gospel preached, advanced in all places. Didn't matter how it happened as long as it happened. Then thirdly, his understanding of of discipleship allowed room suffering. See there, his understanding of discipleship Allowed room suffering. See, discipleship, we learn in chapter 3, verse 10, meant to share in Christ's suffering. Chapter 2, verse 17, Paul talks about how his life is a libation. It's a drink offering being poured out for the Lord in worship of the Lord. He saw himself, regardless of what happened, as the servant of God. And so whatever God allowed, it's part of his discipleship. It's part of making disciples of others. So all the suffering that he might have experienced at the hands of Romans or Jews or even fellow Christians here, as he lays out in this text, they're all, they're all part of sharing in the sufferings of Lord Jesus Christ, and they're part of his service and his worship back to Jesus. This morning, does our discipleship have room, allow room to suffer? We're Americans. We really know nothing of suffering. Do we view the hardships in our lives like Paul would have? You see, we rarely look at suffering through that kind of lens. We're offended by suffering. It's, it's nonsensical for us. It's a foreign concept, literally. When we think of suffering, we don't think of American Christianity. We think of African Christianity or Southeast Asia Christianity. We think of Middle East Christianity, right? South American type thing. Literally a foreign concept. Something that happens over there. And so what would happen if we change our perspective about the hardships that we face? How might the gospel advance through our lives if we viewed the cancer diagnosis through the lens that Paul had? No one wants cancer. No one wants to have that that report read back to them. What if it's that new path, that new road that's been cut in to the territory around you, and it's given you opportunities to grow in the Lord, to, to, to worship the Lord in ways you never thought of, but also to be a gospel light to people you're going to come in contact with. got to change your perspective. And hear me, I'm not just putting a positive spin on all this. Just try to be positive, brother. Just try to be positive, sister. Just try to, to, to look at it differently. I'm not talking about that, but what if the Lord's caused it in your life? 
so that you can have this new trailblaze. It is cancer and sickness and illness and disease and, and family struggle and financial. Is all that part of the fall? Absolutely. They didn't have that in the Garden of Eden. That doesn't mean God doesn't sovereignly allow and perhaps even cause those things to happen in the natural course of a fallen world to teach you, to use you, to train you, to mobilize you for the sake of advancing. So when we begin to catch that larger viewpoint, we can rejoice and be joyful in whatever circumstance, the mountaintop, the valley, and anywhere in between. During this March Madness beautiful season, we do love to talk about our teams. And I'm, I promise, I'm, I'm not going to get up here and gloat every week. April will be here pretty soon, right? We do like to talk about our team. How much do we love to talk about Jesus? We like to talk about statistics and projections and tournaments. I've been talking with some guys this morning about that. I love that kind of stuff. We, I will fill out a bracket. I think last year was the first year I didn't fill out a bracket ever uh, because we didn't have a tournament, right? We couldn't fill out a bracket. It was weird. So we'll do all that stuff. It's a fun season to be a part of. But as a follower of Jesus, man, we have a greater and a higher calling than advancing our brand of our favorite collegiate or pro team. We've been called to advance the gospel. This is our mission. This is the mission of our church. It's what we're here for. We don't just gather together to sing songs and, and, and have wonderful, uh, enlightening type of feel-good messages. No, we're here to gather, to encourage, to impassion ourselves so that when we're scattered, the gospel advances in our areas of influence. And we gather again the next week. We want to allow every aspect and every circumstance of our lives to be redeemed for the sake of advancing the Lord's mission. We want to rejoice in all circumstances as the Lord uses those mountaintops and valleys of our lives. May our passion, may our aspirations be the advancement of the gospel. May this be true in our homes as we diligently and strategically and purposely reach and seek to build into our children the gospel. We share it with them. We teach them. We call them to faith and repentance. We disciple them in our homes. And one of the wonderful things on Wednesday nights is our parenthood class, and many of our young families are in there, and you're being challenged to look at parenting maybe in a different light than you've ever thought of before, to be much more diligent and strategic with the gospel. We want to see this in our neighborhoods. You don't just live in your neighborhood because you got a good deal in a house. You live there because God's placed you there to reach your neighbors and people in that community. You don't work at your place because it pays well. Hopefully it pays well. But you're there, man. That's your gospel mission, Phil. Same would be for our classrooms, for our kids. Whatever that circle of influence is, let's redeem them for the sake of the Lord's mission. Church, as we plant churches throughout our community and throughout the country in which we live, as we send and support missionaries overseas, why are we doing all that? It's to advance the gospel of the kingdom of God. That's what we're It's this morning. Before the mission can be advanced over there or across the road, it has to first advance in your own life. I'm not naive enough to think that everyone sitting here, everyone watching us on 
Facebook this morning, or who will listen or watch this in the days to come as a follower of Jesus Christ. And so as we talk about Paul being passionate about advancing the gospel, he was doing that with the person next door. And so maybe for you, you're hearing this, you're thinking, I need that in my own life. The Bible tells us that we've been made by God. We've been made for God. We have this beautiful, wonderful design. That's the good news of the Bible, is that God loves you so much, He wants to be in relationship with you. The bad news is that you're broken. Sin has broken you, right? You know that. You're trying to fix yourself all the time. You're, you're thinking what next steps you got to do to make yourself better. You're drinking or you're chasing drugs or women or whatever it may be. The next relationship. We're always trying to fix ourselves. Perhaps some people even come to church to fix them. Great place to be. Sitting in a pew won't fix you. Only Jesus. So that's the best thing. God has done for you what you could not do for you. God the Son, Jesus Christ, came, lived a perfect life, offered himself as a sacrifice on the cross, paid the penalty for your sins so that you could be forgiven and restored to the life God created you to have. Do you know Jesus? As a Christian, are you seeking to advance the gospel in and through your life? Everyone.